come again before the Lord in prayer one last time before we come to his word. And let's ask that he would speak to us now in the power of his Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning that one of the last things that your son said to his disciples after he commissioned them with the gospel to preach to the nations, he said, I am with you even to the end of the age. And we thank you, Lord, that with the commission, there is the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit now sent to live within us. So, Lord, we claim that promise that Christ is here, that the Holy Spirit can empower us as we listen to this word from the Bible. We pray, Lord, that you would make it plain to us what this text is saying. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to apply this, to live this out in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I wanted to gain some consistent employment over the summer months. And so I signed up for a job agency. If you're familiar with these, they are sort of matchmaking companies. They take your experience and your qualifications and they seek to marry them with a particular job or particular task. And on most occasions when they did this, I was very pleased with what they presented me. Because the jobs they offered generally matched with my profile and with my passions. But it's hard to get it right every time. And I remember on one occasion, they laid before me a particular job, which was not only highly challenging, but which also I seemed to have no aptitude to perform whatsoever. I wonder if you've ever had that experience. Perhaps not in relation to a paid job, maybe with respect to some other task, some role, some challenge that has been offered to you. And you feel totally inadequate and inappropriate for the call. Well, if so, then at least to some degree, you can relate to Jeremiah. This young, frightened, tongue-tied Jew who two and a half thousand years ago was called by God. As God puts on the table before him a job description which seems to be a mismatch. Here's how it read. Role, communications, conveying particularly negative messages. Length of contract, unlimited, no retirement from this post, conditions, poor, no salary, no pension, no perks. Indeed, the only guarantees, constant opposition from customers, conflict with the authorities of the day, and best of all, or worst of all, job location is in the middle of a war zone between two powerful armies 
Egypt in the south and Babylon in the north. And so even before we read the passage this morning, I wonder what you think Jeremiah's reaction was to this call. Of course, he felt inadequate. But what Jeremiah has to learn, and what you and I have to learn this morning from the Word of God, is that those he calls, he equips for the task. It may be the most difficult of jobs, but God will supply our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And so as we continue our series in Jeremiah, Living in Hope, I've chosen as my title this morning, Called and Equipped. This isn't just the calling of Jeremiah, it's the equipping of Jeremiah for the call. So let's turn to chapter 1 of Jeremiah. Last week we parachuted into the middle of the book, chapter 29, but now we're going back to the beginning and the opening chapter. And there are some pew Bibles around the place if you need one. It's page 755. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north, I answered. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. 
I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshipping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Amen. Perhaps the main thing, the central thing to grasp about Jeremiah chapter 1, indeed one of the main truths of the whole book is this, that God, as opposed to men and nations and kingdoms, that God is the mover and shaker in history. It is he who is working out his plans preeminently. Jeremiah chapter 1 teaches that God is working out his purposes. Teaches that God is calling and appointing people to works of service. It teaches that God can even summon nations to do his bidding and his will. And there's a real sense in Jeremiah that human beings generally are but supporting actors in the drama of history. God initiates, we respond. God calls, we counter with either obedience or defiance. And I think one commentator named Brueggemann has it right when he says that we must not be unduly occupied with the person of the prophet, with Jeremiah. For in this unit, the prophet is not the subject, but the object of God's overriding verbs, as God is acting upon Jeremiah. And yet the wonderful thing is this, that those God calls, he always equips for the task. He doesn't give us tasks that we are ill-equipped to face. Like the claims made these days about the armed forces, by some of the soldiers that were called up, were not resourced to do the task though. No, there is a threefold equipping of Jeremiah in this passage, and it is a past, present, and future equipping. And notice, first of all, a remarkable point, that God's equipping of Jeremiah actually began in the past. In the past, with the Lord's appointment. Sometimes when a person is queried about their readiness for a task, they'll say, I've been preparing for this all my life. And what they mean is that for every minute of their past experience, it has been preparatory for the challenge they face now. But there's something even more remarkable here. That God has been preparing Jeremiah not only for the duration of his life, but even before he was born. Before I formed you in the womb, he says, I knew you. I am omniscient. 
I know everything, Jeremiah. I am eternal. I live out with time. I created time, Jeremiah. And before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew everything about you. Isn't that a remarkable thing? Some of you may know that my wife and I were expecting a third child soon. And we went for the scan a couple of weeks ago. Uh, You can learn a little bit from the scan. Not much. Just a little. Get a couple of arms, a couple of legs. Right number. Head. Moves around a lot. But there's lots that we don't know about the baby. We don't even know if it's a boy or a girl. Uh, We don't know whether it will be born on time, early, late. What will its passions be? Its personality be? What will he, she grow up to become? We don't know. But God knows. God knows everything about that child. Everything about you. Even before you were conceived. And you know, maybe you're here today and you feel pretty worthless, to be honest. But here's an amazing thing. You were not an accident. God formed you in the womb. And before he formed you, he knew everything about you. And what does this text say in passing? I should say this. What does this say about those who treat human life cheaply? Maybe we don't want to know that that's a real life in the womb, but God knows it. Everything about it. I know you, Jeremiah. And what's more, he says, I set you apart. Now, there was this idea in the Old Testament, it's a bit foreign to us, but this idea that people or objects, they could be set apart, dedicated to God's use, sanctified. So you might say of a particular object in the temple, that's a set apart object. It's sanctified, it's for God and for his purposes. And frequently, as we read the Old Testament, people are set apart to God. You maybe remember the story of Hannah, eventually the mother of Samuel. And when we first meet Hannah, she is barren. She can't have children. And so she prays to the Lord and she says, Lord, if you give me a child, I'll dedicate him to you. And the Lord answered her prayer. And you remember how she took baby Samuel and she sent him to the temple, dedicated him, set him apart to the Lord and his purposes. But you know, there is a deeper truth. Whether our parents set us apart to God or not, whatever their intentions for us, in the last analysis, it is God who sets us apart. He plucks us out of a meaningless, purposeless destiny and he says, he, she, is mine. And Christian, this morning, you know that, don't you? That in the New Testament, frequently you are called set apart, sanctified, in a profound, mysterious, remarkable way. You were God's even before conception. Don't ask me to explain that this morning. I can only proclaim it on the basis of the word of God. It's amazing. And what is more, he says, he goes on to say, I appointed you. 
Not only set you apart in relation to me, to God, but also appointed you on a mission to the world. God just didn't happen to see Jeremiah one day and think, you know, he would be good for taking my word out to the nations. This was not God's latest idea. Now, of course, we need to be careful as we think about applying this to us. Jeremiah's call was particular to him in many ways. It was unique in some respects. And God isn't calling us to go and proclaim his word to 6th century B.C. Jews. I mean, that's very obvious to us. But what is not so obvious to some of us is that we are called to. First and foremost, we are called, it says in the New Testament, to believe in and follow Jesus Christ. Paul, in Romans, as he explains how people are saved from their sins, this is how he describes it, those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Calling is part and parcel of what it means to become a Christian. You're called out of darkness into God's wonderful light. He calls you. And if you're not a believer this morning, then perhaps God is calling you this morning to himself, to a relationship with him, to know him. But you know, if you are a Christian, the calls don't stop coming. Because there is also a call to tasks, to ministry, to service. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared, notice this, in advance for us to do. God calls us not only to be saved by him, but to serve him. And yet too often, far too often, we're like Jeremiah, aren't we? Even despite this remarkable information from the past, He quickly gives his excuses as to why he can't do this ministry. And so, as well as the past, the Lord's appointment, in his grace, there is for Jeremiah the present, the Lord's encouragement. And this arises in light of of Jeremiah's objection. In verse 6, Ask sovereign Lord, he says, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Two excuses. Two reasons why he says, Lord, however long you find this, I can't do it. First of all, inability. Inability. I don't know how to speak, Lord. Philip uh, Riken, in his commentary, imagines it humorously. Wait a minute, Lord, says Jeremiah, about this whole prophet to the nations thing. Doesn't sound like a great idea. Prophecy isn't one of my spiritual gifts. As you know, I'm getting a C in rhetoric in the synagogue. In actual fact, since Jeremiah was young, it's very probable that he didn't have much speaking experience, if any. And if so, untried and untested, he's already made up his mind. Reminds me of times when I protested to my mother around the dinner table, I can't eat certain vegetables. And you know what she said, don't you? You haven't even tried them. Can't speak, Lord. But it's probably an uninformed assertion. 
And how often we, we plead inability before even giving it a try. Some of you might find this hard to believe, but when I was 16, I had a fear of public speaking. I even refused to sit my English speaking exam. To this day, I've never sat that exam. Pleading inability. Can't do it. Can't do it. And then Jeremiah goes on, just in case, he gives a second excuse of inappropriateness. I'm only a child, says Jeremiah, or a youth, as the ESV translates it. And this wasn't a lie. Why? Jeremiah was young. Those of you who are 17, 19, 21, Jeremiah was about your age. And we're about to find out that age is no preclusion from ministry. You should know that, especially in this church, I hope. If you were at the prayer meeting on Friday morning, we were praying for some of the chapel missionaries. And you know who some of them were? I took a little note. Rebecca Naismith, Madagascar, 19. Grace McVicker, Hong Kong, 19. Beth Diamond, North Africa, 24. Marlene Beatty, Central Africa, 23. In fact, the only disappointment this year is, where are the guys? <laughs> Maybe you've got some good excuses. Maybe they're not very plausible. These girls go to these dangerous places, some of them. Difficult places, all of them. But you see, whether we're young, middle-aged, or old, we are so good at giving the most reasonable, plausible-sounding excuses as to why we can't do ministry. I would use my gift in administration, in leadership, in music, children's work, but, and you fill in the blank. And yet, I want you to see this this morning, before God's high court, our objection is not sustained. After Jeremiah's objection, we find God's overruled. God says, to be blunt, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Listen, Christian service is not optional. Some people seem to think that salvation is a must, but service is not a must. It is. I mean, how well would that go down in the army these days? Your commander gives you an order, he gives you a command, and you say, let me think about that as to whether that's suitable to me. You don't say that in the army. Dare we say it to the king of kings? And why would we say it? Because look, those God calls, he equips. Jeremiah receives so much to encourage him. Three things at least. God's protection for his fear. See, I think beneath our excuses, that's what's really going on in so many cases. Let's be honest. Ability is not the issue. Age is not the issue. Too young, too old, too middle-aged. Fear is the issue. Fear of failure. Fear of people. Plain fear. And God says, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. And as someone who's not really into grammar, English grammar, this is where you need to know a bit of grammar because this is beautiful, this. I am with you. 
It's what you call an infinitive. God will be with Jeremiah at all times. For all times. Infinitely. It's what Jesus promised to his church. When he sent out his disciples with that great commission. You know, he didn't just say go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. But then he added, and surely I am with you. That's an infinitive. Always, in case they don't get it, to the very end of the age. Isn't that a wonderful promise to us today? However afraid you get about the ministry you're called to, he's with you. God's protection for our fear, his, secondly, his word for our lips. The Lord reached out his hand, says Jeremiah, and he touched my mouth. God not only protects his messengers in the ultimate sense, but he always gives his messengers a message to speak. He won't leave you dumb before those he calls you to. Paul said this about believers too in the New Testament. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. What do you need most? To evangelize people. Why? You need the message. That's the foundational thing. And you know, it's not the newspapers who have the scoop. You know, the newspaper editors, even today, they're rushing around trying to get a story for tomorrow's headline. But you know, we've got the good news today, tomorrow, and every day. God has entrusted it to us, to every Christian. His word for our lips, protection for our fear, and thirdly, his authority, God's authority for our work. See, adds the Lord, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And notice where the emphasis lies here. I, the Lord, appoint you. See, it matters who appoints. It really does. If I appoint you to do a certain task, it probably doesn't endow you with a lot of authority. Because I don't have much of a position. But if the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom appointed you to a key office in his cabinet, you would have great authority. How much more authority do we have when God, the creator of all things and the judge of all people, appoints us to his service? And Jeremiah's ministry needs this kind of authority because it's an extremely difficult task that he's going to carry out. There is a very large destructive aspect to his message and his ministry. To uproot, to tear down, to destroy and overthrow. There are six things that Jeremiah is told that he will do and four of them are destructive, if you like. I was listening on the radio this morning and they were speaking about the home office and some of the problems in that particular branch of the government and the chap that was on was saying we need to pull the whole structure down and begin again and build again. And that's often what you need to do. When we built the building over at Nidri, the first thing we did was get rid of the old one. Build afresh. And Jeremiah will have to preach 
this message of destruction and discipline before he preaches the comfort of God, which will come toward the end of the book. He will be involved in building and in planting as well. But before this, God has got to clear away the rubbish, the debris. He has to discipline his people. And so he has this message that Jeremiah is going to proclaim. And that brings us to the final point. The future and the Lord's judgment. Now we've got to understand that it was crucial that Jeremiah know in detail the Lord's message. This message of judgment that he was going to proclaim primarily. Not finally, but initially. Because it was such a radical and seemingly irrational message to preach at this time in Judah. At this point in the nation's history, it's not judgment that seems on the horizon, but prosperity. Not least because a young king named Josiah has just come onto the scene. He's a contemporary of Jeremiah. And he's carrying out sweeping reforms in the nation, ridding the nation of idolatry, And all the evil of his father and his father's father. And so the people thought, surely, if judgment is going to come, it will not be in this generation. It will not be in us. Maybe down the line. But not for us. But they were wrong. This was the word of God to the people of God in this day. And to confirm this, the message really becomes audiovisual now. Very interesting. As Jeremiah not only hears the word of the Lord, but he also sees certain images which confirm it to him. And the first thing we learn is that this word of God will come with certainty. That's the reason for the almond tree. The Lord takes this ordinary image, this almond tree branch. He says, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, it's an almond tree. To which the Lord responds, you've seen correctly... For I am watching over my word to fulfill it. Now that's a little bit lost on us, I think. And the reason is because most of us don't read Hebrew. Some of us, some of you maybe do, but most of us don't. There's actually a wordplay going on here. There's a pun that the Lord is using. So when the Lord says to Jeremiah, what do you see? He replies, I see shaked, almond. And the Lord says, very well, for I am shocked, watching. Hear the similarities in the word. They actually come from the same root word. And the almond tree, you see, it was the earliest tree to bloom in Palestine after the winter. The first to wake up. And and so it was used in this sense. It was the wakeful tree, the, the watching tree. And so the Lord says, like that, every time you look at that watchful tree, remember this, that I, the Lord, am wakeful and watchful. I'm not going to fall asleep over my word. I'm going to ensure that every word comes to pass. Sometimes we say we'll do things, we forget about it. But God's word are are never mere words. They are promises which never fail. And his promise to Israel at this point is that calamity is coming. The second picture of a boiling pot. Again, it was a very ordinary image in the day. And this pot, says Jeremiah, it is tilted away from the north towards the south. 
It is full, full of very destructive stuff and it is ready to pour out right across the south with Jerusalem and the rest of Israel in its path. And this is a picture of the judgment that is coming and the events that will take place within Jeremiah's lifetime. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. The kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, which, by the way, was a terrible slight when a foreign king came and set himself up in the gates of your city and started making judgments. And they will uh, come against the surrounding walls and all the towns of Judah. But here is the crucial thing here. This is not a random calamity. Because the Lord adds the explanation of the events. This will happen because of two reasons. First of all, because of the people's wickedness. I will pronounce my judgments, verse 16, on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshipping what their hands have made. There is a real sense in which these people have brought judgment on themselves. They have forsaken the Lord. They have went their own way and began to worship these man-made wooden idols. And though people don't do it today in quite the same fashion, nevertheless, we fashion idols, don't we? Do you know people who worship at the feet of gods of self and sex and luxury and power? Are you one of them? Then without God's forgiveness, without coming into that right relationship with him, you are in danger of his judgment. And if we ask why, you know, why doesn't God just overlook it? I've heard people say that to me numerous times. You know, if God is so great, if he's so sovereign, if he's so big, why can't he just let our sins pass? Well, think of that in our own terms. Think of the most heinous crime, what you would consider to be the worst crime imaginable that a human being could commit against another human being. Let me ask you this. Would you be pleased if the judge simply let them walk free? And if not, then let me suggest to you that that sense, that deep-seated sense of justice, comes from God. He planted it there. He is a God of justice. An American pastor by the name of Mark Deaver Um, has done a number of overview sermons of whole books of the Bible. They're really worth listening to. You can find them online. And Mark Deaver preached a sermon, one sermon, on the whole of Jeremiah. And you know what title he came up with for the whole book as the summary of the whole book? Justice. That's what the book's about in so many ways. And even... Justice among the people of God. He says later in the book, Jeremiah 30, 11, I am with you and will save you, declares the Lord. I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only with justice. You see, he's a God of justice. Christian brothers and sisters, 
Though we are saved from eternal judgment, God will still have justice in his church. Read Acts chapter 5 in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. It confirms it. Read Hebrews chapter 12, that God disciplines his sons and those he loves. And know this, if you are not a Christian this morning, dear friend, God is a God of love and grace and compassion. We know that because he sent his son into the world to bear God's judgment on you, due to you, born in Jesus' own body, on the cross. But if you tread the sacrifice of Jesus underfoot, you will bear your own just penalty because the Lord is a God of justice. It's a hard message, actually, the gospel message. It's the message that Christ left us, though. He said, I'm the Savior and I'm the judge. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Jesus said this, John 3, 36. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life because God's wrath remains on him. And God is so concerned, believers, that we take this message out, that he calls us even before we're born, appoints us to his service, and he equips us with everything that we require. And today, in a sense, he stands before us like he did before Jeremiah, and he says, today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, All the kings, its officials, its priests, the people of the land, they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. There is no challenge in the ministry that God has given you that is too great, that will overcome you, because God is with you. He's with us. The beginning of the sermon, we opened with a job description. Jeremiah's job description, very challenging one. And in conclusion, I want to finish with another job description. We find it in the New Testament, not the Old. But like Jeremiah's remit, it was equally demanding. It too was a communications job with unlimited contract length. Conditions were also poor, customers were hostile. And once again, the authorities would be in conflict with this man throughout his whole life. And there were a few other perks. Indeed, for overtime, here's what he had. Prison. Floggings. In fact, he said in one place that he had the 40 lashes minus one five times. Shipwrecks three times. And homelessness. Hunger. To name just some of the things that were on his remit. And added to that, this person spoke of a thorn in his flesh, which hindered him in some way. No wonder Paul, for that was his name, in view of such a job description, and in view of his own feelings of inadequacy, could say, who is equal to such a task? 2 Corinthians 2.16 Maybe as you think of the ministry that you are already doing, as you've given it your best efforts and found it so difficult, that's what you're saying this morning. Who's equal to it? I'm not. 
Maybe as you think about possible ministry opportunities and you're, you're ready to dip your toes in, but you're thinking, I'm not equal to it. Paul knows how you feel. But you know, you know what God said to Paul later in the same letter, his promise to him. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. That's what Jeremiah found. That's what Paul discovered. God calls weak people, unlikely people, fearful people. But those he calls, he equips. Really, we have no reason this morning, whoever we are, not to hear the call. Let's pray.